Welcome to episode three of the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Dalglish, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Bones Bouts. We're coming off a week with Champions League matches, so we start the episode off with some quick hitters on the results and what they mean for each group. Who has qualified to move on, and who still has some work to do? After that, we roll into ranking our top five attacking front three units in the Premier League. Not only did we differ on where teams rank, but half the battle is deciding what is the best front three for each team. And finally, we wrap it up with our predictions for match week 10. All right, let's get started. Buddy, what's going on? Yeah, you know, it's a, a great day for Thanksgiving. Made the trek back to, to DC just yesterday. So looking forward to talking a little footy before watching some American football. How was the drive? It was long. It was about ten and a half hours. So happy to be out of the car for a day, but but great to be back in the uh, on the East Coast. Great, great. Yeah, uh, we're recording this on actually Thanksgiving Day, uh, but it will be publishing it on Friday, obviously. So if you're in the U.S. listening to this, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Things are a little different this year, but can still enjoy some turkey. Fortunately, what we get to do is talk about a little bit of footy. We got some Champions League review. I think we'll kick off with that before we get into our top five attacking units in the English Premier League. So what we're going to do is just going to have Bones here give some quick hits, his thoughts, some updates on Champions League, the results this past week. Thanks, Trip. So let's start off with Group A, my favorite group. Bayern moved through to the round of 16, and Atletico and Locomotive are battling out for the second place in the round of 16 out of Group A. Bayern beat Salzburg 3-1. The only things to say about this match, it goes back to our discussion from last week. Salzburg are a scrappy team. They're not going to let down. They had a ton of chances on Manuel Neuer's goal, which was sweet. Although, you know, nothing really dangerous. Bayern were able to escape. One thing to note from a U.S. men's national team perspective, Chris Richards had or got his first start in the Champions League. Uh, really bright for the U.S. men's national team. He was slightly at fault for the the only Salzburg goal because he held their attacker on on sides. But all in all, Bayern escape. They'll be able to play some of the youngsters, give some of their their older older players some rest in the next couple of games. Atletico drew. With locomotive, nil-nil, not much to say about that match, but we'll certainly have to turn it on in the next couple of weeks. In Group B, there's a log jam with Motion Glad back and Real in front. Motion Glad back beat Shakhtar 4-0. Real and Bolo had a pretty sick bicycle kick, so that was awesome to see. Awesome to see 
Bundesliga teams really showing out in Europe. And then Real completely dismantled Inter 2-0. Vidal, the ticking time bomb from both Barcelona and, and Bayern, ended up getting shown a red after an immediate yellow for descent. And then for Group C, City takes the group and moves on to the round of 16. Porto's in second, but Olympiacos are still alive. City beat Olympiacos 1-0. And then Porto beat Marseille 2-0. Both teams actually got reds. Group D, there's a logjam with Liverpool two points on top, but Ajax and and Atalanta are both in contention. Atalanta actually beat the battered Liverpool squad 2-0. And then Ajax absolutely ripped Michelin's apart 3-1. David Neres had an absolute banger from outside the box and then was close with a bicycle kick. In Group E, Chelsea and Sevilla both advanced to the round of 16. Chelsea beat Wren 2-1. Looked very solid, although Timo Werner had another absolute sitter in front of the in front of the face of the goal. That's a little concerning, but Olivier Giroud with a great header to to move Chelsea on, and then Sevilla, the perennial Europa League champions, beat Krasnodar two one. They look like a, a really deadly team, which I saw in the Super Cup against Bayern. They beat Krasnodar two one. Move on, great match. In Group F, there's a jam log between Dortmund, Lazio, and Brugge. Dortmund ahead in the driver's seat, Lazio in tow, but Brugge still in contention. Dortmund beat Brugge 3-0. Lazio beat Zenit 3-1. Not much to say about either match, although Erlen Holland continues his scoring streak, and Gian Sancho had a pretty, pretty awesome free kick for a goal. In Group G... Barcelona and Juve moved through the round of 16. Barca beat Kiev 4-0. Trev hates that I said Barca. It's very American. Bartha. Um, much better, much better. <laughs> two things to note here. Serginho Dest scores his first goal for Barca, uh, Barcelona. <laughs> and now you got me all screwed up. He scores his first goal for Barcelona also the first goal for Barcelona for an American. And Conrad De La Fuente, first competitive match for Barcelona. So another American coming through. Awesome to see that. Um, There was an interesting Instagram post from Sam's Army, guys that follow. I I think they're tagged to to Barstool. Yeah. But they posted the lineup of Barcelona B that had Conrad De La Fuente not even starting for Barcelona B last year, and he was being pushed down the packing order by a bunch of guys that were eventually cut by Barcelona. Mm. The only person in that starting lineup that of note was Antu Fati, obviously absolutely tore it up last year, was tearing it up this year before tearing his ACL on international duty. But just to note that there's a lot of American talent that is finally getting recognized. He was in the last U.S. men's national team break and, you know, looked a little raw, but glad to see him on the field for, for Barcelona and, and Ronald Koeman giving him a chance. Juve beat Farron Vios 2-1. It was an incredibly uninspiring victory, and that kind of goes to why when 
Trevor asked me last week or last last episode who could potentially stand to beat Bayern um, in their quest to to retain the title. I did not list Juve in there. They just did not look particularly inspired. And then lastly, in Group H, United beat Bessa Heckshire 4-1, and PSG beat Leipzig 1-0 in a brutally boring match. Actually, lots of shanks and just people booting it right over the, the goalpost. So I'm going to turn over to Trev here to give a little bit of analysis because his his favorite United are in this group and there is an absolute log jam. Yeah. So United sitting at nine points, I believe. And then Leipzig and PSG are at six. I think so. It's, it's still wide open. I really think United only needs to get one more point out of the remaining games because of their goal differential is so much far superior. I think they're, they're plus eight, and then the next best is PSG with, I think, plus one, maybe plus two. So I really think they only need to get one point, which it's United. You never know which team's going to show up, so they could totally lose the the remaining two matches. But I don't think PSG is really that scary, and uh, I do expect United to, to get through this group. Between Leipzig and PSG, I – it's tough to say obviously but i think leipzig will is the better team right now they were better they were the better team against psg psg just happened to get sort of a bullshit penalty so if you're going just based on who's playing better at the moment leipzig goes through too uh but we'll see all right great so those were the quick hitters just giving uh the listeners a little update on Champions League results and making sure you're staying on top of what's going on. There's a lot of games in Champions League right now, a lot of teams that you probably have never heard of. So we felt that it would be good to to give you some some context. All right, so we're going to move on to the next portion of this show, which is probably going to be the most fun. We're going to be ranking the top five attacking three units, meaning the three attacking players on a team. This really, the only teams that qualify for this are ones that actually use a front three, which is quite a bit of teams, actually most of the best teams in the league. And it's an interesting topic because historically, when you think of English football, you think of the gross 4-4-2, so really two strikers working as a tandem up top. But teams have gone away from that, and you're seeing a lot more of four three threes and four two three ones and what's really interesting about these is the wingers what their roles are within the team so in a four four two the outside wingers in the midfield their jobs were to stay wide cross balls in think of a david beckham whereas now the wingers their dominant foot is usually on the inside So what they're expected to do is to cut in and attack. So they're coming in from the wings. Uh, It's, it's, you know, pretty much all the best teams in the world are employing this. So uh, we felt it'd be fun to go through and rank the top five in our opinion. All right. So I think probably the best way to do this, Bones, is we can start with our number five. We can debate it. So there's a little room for interpretation here where... 
obviously teams change their lineups. So we're going to go based on what we think the team's best, most realistic front three are right now. So I'm sure that will be debated a little bit. Let's get started. Tim, you want to go first? Who's your number five? Sure. So I've got, I, I, I want to call out a, an honorable mention before we get into the, into the top five. I have, I have one too, but I don't want to get, actually, let's not give away the honorable mention because people might think that they could still be in the top five. Okay. okay. Let's go. We'll, we'll throw the honorable mention out at the end. Okay. So I think I'm going to start with, oof. I think I start with United's, I think most important front three. Okay. And that's Martial, Cavani, and Rashford. They could Interesting. Be, Interesting. They could be further up the field, although, you know, we've discussed this at length. I, I think that that's probably where they're going to be most successful. Martial is just he, – he's shown that he's a bit too lazy in holding up the ball. He's much better facing goal than, than back to the goal. Yep. I think Cavani – offers something that obviously he does not. He's been incredibly successful at PSG. I think for them to be successful and to get back into Champions League contention, they're going to need that that three to be particularly productive. Obviously, they've got Mason Greenwood coming in, but I, I think that both Martial and Rashford offer something that he doesn't. I, it, that might be maturity. And then I think having that true number nine, which they obviously Martial had a great season last year, but they haven't had a true nine since Lukaku. Obviously, that didn't really fit into Ole's plans. But I think at this stage with this team, it's imperative that they have that true nine to be able to be a presence in the box and to hold up play. Yeah, it's actually in this most recent match, I think. You could see, you could get a glimpse of what United want out of Cavani. So, obviously, he's a nine. He's a goal scorer. I mean, he's on the wrong side of 30, but he's still very talented. He's big and strong. And what he was doing was he was actually dropping deep, receiving the ball, and really his top priority was the link-up play. And then after he received the ball, distributed to Rashford or or Martial, he was then getting into the box. I think he he had a couple close calls where he could have gone on the end of a header, but it just wasn't falling for him today. But I think that's really what Solskjaer wants him doing. Uh, I didn't put him as the top three for United. Uh, we can get to that when, I, when we get to them in my ranking, mainly just because it's unproven. We don't know if it's going to work. He's kind of... I like I like where you're going with it, though, because... He's playing kind of a – we're trying to get the Harry Kane role out of him, what Harry Kane's doing this year, which yeah. is coming back and facilitating. He's like a Harry Kane light, mega light. Like I'm not even putting them in the same category because Harry Kane is arguably playing the best in the world right now, and Cavani is you know way past his prime. But I still think he could fill that role for United and – then rely more on Rashford and Martial when it comes to actually putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and one thing I, I would like to bring up, and 
this is kind of a separate topic, I guess. I think that age or the perception of age has, has drastically changed in the past couple of years. Players are able to play further into their 30s than they previously had been able to. I think there's certain players, particularly at the number nine spot, wingers less so. I, the, the two that really stand out there would be Ribery and Ian Robin, who extended their careers well into their 30s for very good Bayern teams. But I think that there's certain strikers that have been able to maintain their bodies, really transcend and extend their, their shelf life. First and foremost, that would be Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who is the leading goal scorer along with Ronaldo in Serie A. But I think Cavani also is cut from that mold. I think he is incredibly well-disciplined with his fitness. Um, he's in great shape. I think that he can be as productive now as, you know, as Ibrahimovic was when he went to United, which was very productive, at least for the year that he was not injured. MLS made uh, Zlatan better. That's an interesting take. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> dig into that. Um, he certainly did take L.A. by storm and had some ridiculous goals, uh, inclu- including his first yeah, goal, yeah, which was yeah. a half-field goal. Yeah. But I think that Cavani can be incredibly productive. I don't think it's going to be any anything close to kind of the Falcao situation for United. Obviously, Falcao I appreciate you saying that. Injury. Yeah, you're welcome. But um, I, I think that he can be incredibly productive for for United. Great. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I really hope that pans out. All right, so my number five is Manchester City. I'm saying that their best front three is Sterling, Jesus, and on the right is kind of I, – I, I wasn't sure. I guess it's Mares. And so the first thing I need to call out is – if it's not Jesus and it's Aguero, they're much higher up on the ratings for me. But I feel that, you know, Aguero has been out for a while now and I'm assuming this is his last season with them. So really they need to start thinking about what's their future front three, you know, whether Sterling, Sterling leaves is a whole nother story, but for right now I'm assuming it's Sterling, Jesus and Mares. And the biggest reason why I have them down at five, even though City is Manchester City synonymous with goal scoring and, and really piling it on, is that what we've seen so far this season is that they miss Aguero. Aguero is one of the best strikers. I say it all the time. One of the best strikers in Premier League history. Jesus, he's still very young, which is kind of crazy because I feel like he's been around forever, but he's yeah i think this is his fifth year with with city yeah and what is he 23 yeah so obviously i mean he he could be just going through a slump and he could turn it around because we've definitely seen promise from him in the past but he's nowhere near the level of aguero at least right now and i think that because of that they're for the first time since pep's gone there they're struggling to score goals so that's why I have him at five. Obviously, if Jesus, if this is really just a slump and he starts turning it on, this goes up. I think the world of Mares, he's just insanely talented. So they have the talent there. They get clicking. I mean, they're better than the five spot, but that's where I have him for right now. It's interesting because I have that a certain city contingent at four. 
Okay. And so perfect, perfect segue. Perfect segue. Yeah. Let's go right into it. Let's, let's hear what your, well, we know what your number four is, but what, what, who do you have for city? So yeah, I have city at four. I'm actually including Aguero and a little bit different look on the right. So I think that what is most important for them is that Bernardo Silva starts getting going again. Okay. When he is on, I think that he's incredibly crafty coming in from, from the right with his left foot, almost reminiscent of an Ian Robin type situation where everybody knows where he's going and yet he is so one footed. Oh yeah. It's incredible, but still effective like Ian Robin. Obviously he's got a little bit more of that Latin flair to it more, you know, has more of a Spanish style, like a, 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 the way that Messi kind of carves, carves out room, obviously not to two things level here. of Messi. First of all, first of all, he's Portuguese. Second of all, Messi is not Spanish. Well, I know, but <laughs> <it's your laughs> I, opinion, I, you understand what I'm saying. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like more of, more of that flavor of play. Okay. Um, but I think that they really need to get him going with Mares, incredibly crafty player. Also think the world of him, but I think that he can also slot in um, coming off the bench more easily than Bernardo Silva and be effective, both in trying to distribute as well as going for goal. Why do you and say then, that? I mean, I agree I, with that, just, but that's because Mares is, I think, just a better player. That 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 may be true. I think it's just that Bernardo Silva is more effective over the course of a longer stretch of time and kind of grinding his defenders down, being able to work the, work the angles. Whereas I think Mares is, you know, pretty effective in getting on the field and immediately making an impact. I think kind of that one, two punch is key for city. Whereas I think Bernardo Silva coming off the bench has a little bit more difficulty and getting himself integrated into the t- into the into the game and making okay. that impact. So I okay. think starting having that longevity is is better for for his game to actually show. Okay. Again, and Sterling of course is is kind of a stalwart on the on the left. I've never been a huge Sterling fan. I think his finishing leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. Um, also, the way that he runs like a pterodactyl. Or a Tyrannosaurus Rex is just ridiculous. <laughs> he does kind of, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But you know, he's effective and he's super quick. Obviously, he's done pretty well internationally as well. I think that for City to become effective again in scoring outside of just De Bruyne, they need Aguero to get back healthy and start really going because Jesus, I think, is a little lacking in confidence. They need to build that up again. And yeah. he was ineffective in, in the midweek again. Yeah, I totally agree. Jesus isn't cutting it, and it's probably a confidence thing. Okay, so my number four is Chelsea. And I think the most difficult thing to decide on here was what's their best three because they have so many attacking players that are all producing. What I went off of is what I assumed was Lampard's vision for the top three 
and also what I think is just the scariest if I had them coming up against United. And so that's Pulisic on the left, Werner up top, and Ziek on the right. And I only have them at number four right now because they haven't, I don't believe they've all played together yet. First Ziek was out, then Pulisic was out. But the potential is insane. I mean, Pulisic has proven himself. If he's healthy, which is a big if, unfortunately, he he can take over a game, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, coming out of lockdown last year, he was Chelsea's best player. And that's oh, not yeah. just a that's not just a US bias. He was by far their best player. The only other person oh, yeah. that couldn't really compete with him was probably William was playing out of his mind too. Pulisic on the left, Werner up top. So Werner's the only one I think has not proven himself yet because he just hasn't been converting. The thing is, is if you watch the Bundesliga, you can see what he, he's done there. It's a farmer's league, so, you know. God, I hate you. <laughs> uh, we'll see if he can do it in the Premier League. The thing that I've noticed in the Premier League, he hasn't been converting, but he's been getting to the spots. He's been doing all the hard work, and then just when he needs to finally put the ball in the back of the net, that's where he's screwing up. I don't know. It might just be bad luck right now. He might be in a funk. But if he turns that around, I mean, he's going to be deadly. And then Ziyech on the right, he's already proven himself. And in just the few games that he's been playing, he is top, top, top class. So if this three can come together and there's actually chemistry, they have potential to maybe challenge for the top spot. I wouldn't maybe go that far, but... I mean, the potential is insane. Yeah. And as another great segue, I have a Chelsea front three at number three. Wow. We're, we're just banging on all cylinders here. I've been going back and forth as to which front three I really want to suggest. Because as you said, Timo Werner, incredible talent, absolutely took over and almost, you know, didn't necessarily redefine, but redefined what was possible for a, a number nine in the Bundesliga because he's super small, very, very quick, but very different from the Lewandowski's of the world or the Bami Yang's of the world. I love the speed and the tenacity he's bringing to the Chelsea front line. But again, he, he hasn't been finishing like he should. He had, you know, over the course of the past two games, two, three absolute sitters. And he needs to clean that up, obviously. I do think that Pulisic is their most effective left wing. He also, one of the things that um, from last year really showed his, his abilities as well as his worth to the team was the way that he won over Frank Lampard. I mean, he was not playing at all for the first couple of weeks of the of the season. It might have been even the first month. And then once he got on, he was so effective that Lampard couldn't keep him off the team sheet. Jesse Marsh, Marsh was even saying that Lampard didn't even rate him coming into Chelsea. And Lampard has kind of toned that down. Regardless, when he's healthy, incredibly effective, efficient player, has shown that he can score, has shown that he can distribute and disrupt 
uh, opposing offensive de- offenses, defenses, break them down. So he's definitely in my, my top three. Like you, Hakeem Zayek, I think incredibly effective with his di- distribution. True class. Had a little bit of an issue with controlling the ball in the last match. However, he's really great on the ball and gives you a different dynamic than, say, a William did on the right. What I'm struggling with is whether Tammy Abraham being effective at the nine is more important for Chelsea than having Werner up at the true nine. Because I think that they can then shift how they play if they play the Zayek, Pulisic, Werner top three. Whereas as this Champions League game shows, having a true nine, a large body to navigate the box, that's how they won. That's how Olivier Giroud got his goal. So, you know, I, I struggle with what would be most important for Chelsea to make that push for, for the top spot in the Premier League. I think their their midfield is incredibly strong behind them, so they can be very interchangeable at the front three. But at this point, I actually think that having Tammy Abraham banging on all cylinders um, as the as as a true nine might be more important to the team and to their their results. It's a really good point, and you're right. Abraham and Werner offer very different things. So they might be able to have the luxury of just going match by match and deciding, you know, do we are we going to get bombarded by the other team? Do we need to sit back and play a little bit more conservative, hit them on the run, get and in that case then have Werner starting up top because his speed can kill? Or is this going to be a match where we can dominate the ball, we can build it up, and in that case have Tammy Abraham starting up top because he offers a little bit more as far as different ways to score. I, I think Werner, there's a very Werner type goal, which is yeah, he's going to run right by you. And yeah. um, it, it, people kind of just dismiss Abraham because, you know, last year was a very, it was a massive surprise and he probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if they didn't have the transfer ban and he executed and yeah, then Werner gets signed and people kind of dismiss him immediately, but he's still competing. He's still fighting. And I mean, if Werner doesn't start converting these opportunities that he's had, don't you think that maybe Abraham could just win it outright and be yeah. a starter? Yeah, I, I, I honestly do. I also think that it's interesting because the, the three strikers on the team right now, Werner, Giroud, and Tammy, Tammy Abraham, all of them give you different things. Drew is the classic nine who doesn't really do anything outside the box, is entirely looking for crosses inside. Yeah, if he's Whereas, in the box, he's yeah. converting, though. He's, yeah. he's so 100%. underrated. So underrated. I still refuse to admit that. Refuse I refuse to it. acknowledge that. I can't do it. I can't do it. But Tammy Abraham, I think, is gives you that aerial threat, but also is relatively good and adept at striking from outside the box and using his feet. And then Timo Werner is more that, not false nine, but you know he he's more of that winger type approach to a, a nine. I know. Do you think Werner could also end up just, I really hope this isn't the case, but if Pulisic 
keeps having these injury issues, Werner can slot in on that left side and yeah. that might be a better, just in a vacuum looking at what Werner can do, that might be a better position for him. I agree. And that's something that the German national team has been struggling with since 2018. Werner was effective early on in you know the first 10 or so caps that he had with the national team, had a good Confederations Cup, which they won, but then has been relatively non-existent in playing up front for the national team. Yogi Love has tried to play him out on the wing. He was not as effective, looked a little uncomfortable, and that also pushes Serge Gnabry or Leroy Sané out of their natural positions. Mm-hmm. So they've been playing more of that that rotating front three um, that I was suggesting if Werner plays with Zayek and Pulisic. So it remains to be seen, but he he is able to be deployed as that, that winner. Yeah. If, uh, if you've been following along and listening to all the episodes, you're probably also wondering if we'll ever have an episode where Yogi Lowe is not mentioned. Most likely not uh, until he gets fired or Germany actually turns this around and, and gets out of their, their World Cup hangover. Yep. It might come up more than once every episode. Okay. So, my number three. I have Manchester United. And before we get started, let me first admit, this isn't just a homer pick. I understand that this is very fragile. What I'm... Uh, having United at three, I think there's room for them to move out and potentially drop out of the top five. But what I picked for their top three right now, which it was really hard for me because I wanted to say something else, but I had to go with Rashford Martial and Greenwood. The reason why I say them is because that unit is, we have a big enough sample size now and that sample is very productive. So when we came out of lockdown last year, this was the unit that got deployed and the production was great. Over the whole of last season, Martial scored in all competitions 23 goals with nine assists. Rashford with 22 goals and nine assists. Greenwood didn't start until after the lockdown and he finished with 17 goals and three assists. Put that also into perspective. Martial started 41 matches. He Missed some time to injury early in the season. Rashford missed a ton of time. He played 39, or he started 39 matches. Missed a ton of time with a back injury. And then, obviously, I mentioned Greenwood didn't start until after lockdown. So he only had 17 starts. So what that comes out to be, they almost averaged the same goals per 90 minutes, which was .58. Having that type of production consistently across the front three was amazing. That being said, I understand this is fragile in the sense that we haven't had this front three once this year. Martial's not playing well. He's not converting his, his opportunities. Rashford's playing great. He, I think he has eight goals in all competitions and three assists. So Rashford's not a problem. He's, he's playing. He's, he's picked up where he left off, essentially. It, it, actually, if anything, he, he's, in, he's gotten better. At the end of last season, he kind of fizzled out. But... And then Greenwood, who knows what's going on there? He's not getting starts. There's a lot of reports in the media, but the media 
sucks. So who knows if you can really buy into that. They just want to attack players any chance they get. But he's a young player. I think Ole wants to protect him, not rely on him yet. Maybe have him run as that super sub. So it's hard to say this is really the front three. I only chose it because that's what we have the best sample of. I liked your idea of getting Cavani in there. I just couldn't do that yet because it's not proven. It's I don't know if that's going to work, but I like that. That's where if if that can work, I'll be so happy. And I would think United could stay at this spot for me if that works out. But yeah, so that's that's what I have for United. Yeah, and it, it's tough because last year, obviously, it was it was kind of in the middle of the United melee. Just everybody was scoring, everybody was clicking. Mm-hmm. But Ole was saying that Mason Greenwood is the most clinical finisher that he's seen, that he's seen for United, maybe since himself. Who knows? But <laughs> he but gets I he think, often gets compared to Van Persie, actually. And you know, I, I think that's very fair. I mean, Van Persie, particularly for his Arsenal career, and then the first year, maybe two of his United career, just very efficient, but. I, I think Martial, you know, he's got that one penalty uh, goal in the Champions League. He just needs to get on the score sheet. Like, take for instance, any basketball player, a, a, a good, a good shooter. They just need to see the ball go in the hoop in order to get their confidence back and get rolling. I think Martial is very similar. I think he needs to see a goal from open play for him to get that spark again. And I think that I really hope that he does because he worked hard to get back into Ole's plans, Mourinho's plans to get together a, a consistent and an effective and efficient season. And he got himself back into the French national team setup. I'd love to see him at Euro 2021 and hopefully that all starts with him just seeing the ball get in the back of the net. Yeah. Yeah, Marcel's he's a tough one. I Here's a hot take. I don't think he's in Ole's long-term plans if Ole gets to have a long-term plan. I agree. I, I think from a personality standpoint, Ole's just kind of over. It, particularly g- given that Ole was known to be that workhorse as a player. He just doesn't see that in Martial's personality. And you can find someone with that personality that would be potentially more effective. Who knows? But I think he's kind of over the the moping around. They need to go get Holland. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good uh, luck. A guy can dream. I, I think I, a guy can dream. Okay, don't take that away from me. All right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that's I have him at three. I mean like I said, it's fragile. If they came out playing this year like they did after lockdown last year, I'd argue they'd be the number one because across the board, that production's insane. It's better than anyone yeah. left that we're going to talk about. So if they had come out and picked up where they left off, I mean, they would be the best attacking unit. It's fr- Like I said, it's fragile though. Martial, I don't think, I just don't think he can do it. I don't think he can cut it. Green was too young right now. He's eventually going to get there. He'll actually probably end up being the nine. Uh, But yeah. All right. So that's number three. 
let's roll into the number two. I'm not sure that you're going to like this one. But in order for Spurs to be in any sort of contention, obviously, Mourinho's second year, we've talked at great length about the, the mystique of Mourinho's second year. But in order for them to make a push for top spot, also be effective in, in Champions League and, and be an effective team, an efficient team, Bale needs to get on the field and stay on the field. And if he's able to do that, I think Sohn, Kane, and Bale as a front three could be incredibly deadly. And obviously we've talked about this a bit. This is probably Kane's best season that he's ever had. Both, um, Obviously, he's always shown his scoring ability. I've always thought he was a little bit clunky, like he – sometimes just stumbled upon goals. It almost like a Tom, a Tomas Muller effect where he would just kind of stumble upon goals. Nobody really knew how it happened, why it happened. It's not a he bad guy to get compared to. Right, right, right. Exactly. But right place at the right time, knew the game, but wasn't necessarily the most gifted. And I think that he, it, you know, he got the, he shared the golden boot in the last World Cup. And a lot of those goals just, made no sense to anybody. They were just pure luck. This year, all of his goals, and he's got a, a fair number of assists as well. He leads the league in assists. He leads the league, leads the league in assists. Yeah, it's insane. It looks very deliberate. It looks like he's finally been able to harness all of his potential, skill, whatever, and is a complete package now. And a lot of the comparisons a couple of years ago were to – you know, top strikers in the world. And the argument was being made that Harry Kane was that top striker, was going to get bought by Real Madrid. I don't think that he was ready for that at the time. Right now, you know, if Lewandowski wasn't at the top of his game, Harry Kane would 100% have the top spot, no questions asked. And Stone right now is fine high. The past couple of years, he's been really effective, has been playing great football, but Without a strong contingent, he it looked like it was more one-off kind of stuff. It, there was nothing to help complement his game, and I think that Bale on the other side will be very helpful for his game. Bones, man, I'm disappointed <laughs> because you tell clearly me tell me you, something new, dude. You clearly don't know me. You thought that I was going to be upset by you putting Tottenham at number two, but I put Tottenham at number two. So Ooh, yeah. Saucy. Yeah. So my take on this is that Kane and Son alone probably justify being in a top three attacking unit at number two. You could add Jolinton or whoever to that front three and Kane and Son keep them at number two overall for me. They're amazing. I mean, we've talked about it a couple times now. Kane's new role, being a being a kind of the, adding the link up play to his game while also scoring scoring goals is amazing. His distribution is helping Son out. He's Son. If you give him a chance, he's going to convert. And then just. 
the potential of adding Bale to that attacking unit is scary. I mean, and Bale doesn't need to be Bale from Real Madrid. I mean, he's he's on the wrong side of 30, which again, we're not sure what that means, but he does have the injury history, so it's probably not mm-hmm. a good thing for him. Right. He doesn't need to be... I mean, Gareth Bale was a top five player in the world, and I don't think he gets that recognition because he was at Real Madrid. He Ronaldo was there, so Ronaldo gets all the focus. And on top of that, for no reason, those spoiled brat fans of Real Madrid hated him. He won them a Champions League, and they hated him. It made no Spoken sense at all. Like a true Catalan. I'm not. No, don't go there. I have plenty of negative things to say about Barcelona fans too. Trust me. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for me, I mean, if Bale was on a team for the last for his prime, where the fans actually appreciated him and hyped him up, it would be without a doubt he would be considered a top five player. So he's not the top five player probably anymore, but. He doesn't need to be because he has the other two guys there. So the potential yeah. is huge. If he can just have a, a, an occasional bell moment and stay healthy, that that attacking three is just deadly. Yeah, and it's, it'll be interesting to see because it, it, it does come down to he had a, at least the last three years of his Madrid career. Obviously, he had a ridiculous bike in the Champions League final against it's a Liverpool. beautiful thing. Oh my God, ridiculous. But other than that, he had a pretty miserable time the last three years, had effective first couple of years, obviously had serious injury problems. And, you know, he looked like he lacked desire in the past year or two. He and Zidane were kind of butting heads. He worked on his golf game. So at this point, it's unclear whether he really wants or needs to get back to playing good football or, or, you know, wants to. But I think given the fact that Mourinho has always wanted to coach him will help re-spark his interest in, in, in enjoyment in playing football. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing. I, I think that will be really effective in, in getting him back on track. And I think if he does he'll be flying absolutely high and he's back in the place that made him you know we think about his last two years of top being a being a spur prior to going to real it was incredible so yeah that one that one season before he went to real madrid he had the most ridiculous goals that if you watch the highlights just from that one season you'd think those would be his highlights from his entire career oh yeah it was absolutely nuts. So he just needs to reclaim just a little bit of that that passion for the for the game. And I think you know it's unfortunate because fans aren't really in stance, but you know being in that atmosphere, I think, will really help. Yeah, for sure. All right, I think I know what's coming next as far as the top spot, but maybe maybe you're gonna pull off a shocker here. Nope, it's gonna be Salah, Mane, and Firmino. Ooh, okay. Not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was going to say. I, 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 based on your reaction, I thought you were going to give me a little pushback there. No, no, me, but no, no. Go yeah, ahead. I think it, it's tough to argue with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can we can drop a, a few stats here. I mean, 2019, 
Salah, 19 goals and 10 assists in all, all matches. Mane, 18 goals, 7 assists. Not only that, though, it's what they do defensively. I mean, they, they mm. require a pressing style from – or Klopp requires players to press. And, I mean, I was kind of – I had the hipster take for a long time that Mane was better than Salah. But, I mean, come on, that's – Well, you did live in Brooklyn, so, I yeah, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I mean, Mane, what he does off the ball and to win the ball back is is amazing and solid is underrated in that, right? I will yeah. say, though, I will say, I have Liverpool at number one, but I don't have Firmino in that top Ooh. three. I got Jota up there. And I know it's still new, but... Come on, like this guy is on yeah. fire, and yeah. I <sighs> Liverpool fans will probably want to defend uh, good old Bobby here. Say that his role is so important for the the team. Uh, I don't know where this narrative came from because I know Liverpool fans and they don't get it either. But you know the defensive <laughs> striker or whatever that yeah, stupid narrative. No. I th- I'm sure it was probably just media media bringing that shit up. But I mean. You can see now what happens when you actually get a very good goal score in that spot instead of Firmino, and it's terrifying. And I think this is what they're going to have to go with because if their defense is as susceptible as they are because of the injuries, they're going to have to win matches by scoring lots of goals, and Firmino doesn't cut it. Although he did just get his first goal at Liverpool yeah. at, at, at Anfield and whoever had like it was like a year. a year or something. I, I can't remember. It was a very long time, an embarrassingly long time. But what I will say in to refute or, or uh, to kind of play devil's advocate here. So it's going to be a really grueling season. Obviously, a lot of matches patched, packed in. And I think that part of the reason why the three of those guys, Salamana and Firmino, have been so effective the past couple of years isn't because of Firmino scoring a lot of goals. It's because of the relationship that, and understanding that they've built between the three and knowing yeah. how to play off of each other so effectively. And I, I, I hesitate to hop right into you know, praising Diago Jota and saying he's the answer because he's scoring. Because as we know, a streak can end as quickly as it begins, for sure. and you can be in a in a rut for a while. And you know, given the fact that he wasn't really even playing for Wolves, who knows how he's going to react to getting in in a in a rut, and whether he can get himself out of it quickly. If he can't, then they're screwed. But if he can, it's great. I just think that you know exactly what you're going to get from from Firmino. If he scores, great. If not, whatever. But they know how to work off of each other in order to be effective. I, I just don't think that relationship has been solidified yet with Jota. And I think that you know Klopp can probably manage his, his way out of that. But I think he's much more comfortable managing with the top three of Firmino, Salah, and Mane. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say it one more time. I think Liverpool, to win matches this, this season, are going to need to score more goals than they have in the past which is kind of crazy to think about. As of right now, what I've seen, I think Jota gives them the best opportunity to do that. But we'll see. You're right. I mean, you can't... There's a chemistry with Firmino up there. I mean, that's that's the group. 
so we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. I, I mean, yep. we already have one data point of Klopp putting all four of them out there. So maybe, maybe there's more yeah. of that in the future. All yeah. right. So that, that rounds off the top five. Uh, I think we were actually pretty similar. I'm, I'm actually interested in hearing, because I have an honorable mention, what was yours? So the honorable mention, Rich Arlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Amez. Yep. Spot on, man. Same here. Yeah, yeah. And I also had a list of dynamic twos. I nope. think that Jimenez... That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Oh, fine, whatever. Yeah, okay. But I do want to make a comment about Everton. I love what they did with it. All three of those players. So Rich Arlison, Calvert-Lewin, and James the thing that's really cool about them is that they have very specific roles Yep. and they do it well. Uh, yep. Richarlison deserve, deserves a lot of credit because his whole career, he's very young, but his whole career he's been part of a strike, uh, a strike duo or he's been the striker and yep. he's asked to split out wide now. And he's, and I, th- I think it's great. He's, he's facilitating a little bit more play. It also gets him in a position where he can, run at defenders from out wide when Rashford move out to the left that changed everything for him yeah. and became much more productive I I think Richarlison's gonna just keep getting better at that role and it's it's gonna be great for his career James is the engine and Calvert-Lewin is having uh, a career year uh, you mentioned in the previous episode that the consistency is what's been in question for him, but yep. I mean, so far this season, still, still a, a young season, but he's been very consistent so far, leading the league in goals. Yeah, and and I, my one point I'm going to make is that I think that's what made them honorable mention. Obviously, Everton is not the sexy team like the others that we we highlighted in our top five, but they've been incredibly effective thus far in the season. I just think that they need to prove their consistency. James, I think, has proven enough that he's, you know, I, I'd say he's class. He's not world-class anymore because I think his flaws have been have been identified, his physicality, his, his speed. But I think Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin need to show consistency over a long period of time, particularly in their roles in order to make it into that top five. And they just 100% agree too small to, to give them that, that accolade. Definitely. All right. That concludes the top five. Let us know what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter. Our handle is two touch pod. Uh, we love to hear what you guys think. So we're going to transition. Now we're going to go into the weekly segment of our match week picks so we're in match week 10 before we get to that if you made it this long and you appreciate what we've done please give us a subscribe follow rating let us know what you guys like and actually let us know what you dislike too Uh, we would love to hear from you okay match week 10 picks just for review match week nine bones you went four and six which is actually pretty good considering there's three outcomes you can pick okay. from. I went three and seven. The uh, the Newcastle over Chelsea pick was a little <laughs> bit too spicy. So yikes! 
Uh, I think I try to reel it in a little bit more this week and <laughs> um, put my biases aside. Okay. Started off Friday's match. We got Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. What do you got? I think Palace takes it 1-0. I think they recover from their embarrassing loss from Burnley. And, I, you know, I, I, Newcastle still resilient and scrappy. I think this is going to be a very scrappy game. But I think Palace I – think, I think Zaha scores one, Palace up, one nothing. Actually, that was what I was thinking for a little bit. But ultimately, I think Crystal Palace tends to play down to their competition. And that also 100% play up. true. I think this might be just a slog, and I'm going with a draw. All right. Brighton versus Liverpool. What do you got? Liverpool is going to take this. They showed that even their makeshift defense is effective to a certain point. Obviously, didn't work against Atalanta, but in the Prem, they looked pretty solid. Uh, and obviously, their attacking options are dynamic. Yep. And Brighton, you know, still scrappy. Maybe Danny Welbeck will whip out another cheeky little chip, but Liverpool takes it. Yeah, I I really wanted to uh, pick an upset here, just because Brighton's so pesky, and you know Liverpool. It's funny because you look at their performance against Leicester last week, and you say, okay, they still got it. But then in Champions League, granted, they did try to rest some of their players and do some man management. Um, yeah, but you know they they lost. They lost two nil at Anfield. So. I think they are going to be fragile going forward. Brighton can be pesky, but I, I, I ultimately couldn't pick Brighton. That'd be crazy. And so, yeah, I, I go with Liverpool as well. Manchester City versus Burnley. I City. I don't think that this is any any surprise. Burnley is just pretty terrible. I yeah, think I City will roll out. An interesting lineup. Maybe Aguero comes back. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, City takes it. Yeah, I agree. City, City over Burnley, pretty straightforward. All right, this one's a fun one. Everton versus Leeds. I'm going to go the upset. I'm going to take Leeds. They've really impressed me this year. Yeah, I mean they should have beaten Arsenal. Uh, oh yeah. However, that being said, Ancelotti is a real manager. And I think he's going to know how to prepare his team to handle leads. I'm going to go with Everton. but okay. I, I expect this to be a hell of a match, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if Leeds wins. I mean, they, man, they should have beat Arsenal. They were just a far superior team. But I think Everton's better than Arsenal too, so we'll see. But I, I got Everton with this one. West Brom versus Sheffield. So this is going to be an absolute snoozer. Ooh, is this the Bones snooze match of the week certified? It is. It oh, is. boy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to go West Brom, although it's going to be a, a match of absolute mediocrity. Um, I have not been impressed with either team, although you know West Brom still kind of Put it to United. Uh, they at least, at least made it a little bit difficult. And I don't know that if that's a, uh, a condemnation of United or endorsement of West Brom. But right. I think West Brom is, is slightly 
better than Sheffield. I agree with that. I totally think West Brom wins this. They're actually, I think they have some quality in the squad. Uh, Pereira on the right is, is, he's a good player. However, I really wanted to pick Sheffield because going back to the episode one, I have them getting out of the relegation zone. And if they are actually going to do that, they need to win this match. I don't actually believe that. So I settled in the middle. I went with a draw. Okay. So that will be their second point of the year first. <laughs> I think it's their second, second point. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. On to Sunday matches. First one of the day, we got Southampton versus Manchester United. This is going to be a tough one. I think United takes it by a goal. However, would not be surprised by a draw. I hear that. I'm definitely nervous for this match. I've been beating the drum on Southampton. They've mm-hmm. they sort of graduated from being a pesky team past seasons to just a good team now. They handed over the pesky crown to Brighton. I think this is going to be really tough for Manchester United. They're feeling good. Had a had a I mean, they had a win that they should have had in Champions League. So let's not get too high on them. I really hope they come out flying like they did in this past week. So I obviously have to pick United in this case, but I, it's definitely, it's, it feels sketchy as hell to me. I mean, Southampton, they're a good team. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Chelsea versus Tottenham. I mean, this, this is, is the match. This is another sauce you wanted. So I think Chelsea will take it. However, I also think that they need to take Thiago Silva out. I don't think that he performed particularly well in um, the Champions League match. I thought that their defense looked a little bit more vulnerable to an inferior match or inferior team in Wren to what Tottenham's going to pose. I think that they need to bring Rudiger back. I think that Rudiger and Zuma were much more solid in the back than Thiago Silva and, and Zuma were in Champions League. I think they still take it, but it's going to be a very, very close match. But I wouldn't be surprised if Mourinho want to get a little bit of vengeance, takes the game. So your pick is Chelsea? My pick is Chelsea, although I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome. Okay. I'm going to go with Tottenham here. The reason why is that I still think that Chelsea's defense is suspect. I don't think they did enough in the offseason to fix it. I mean, yes, they got a keeper that can actually use his hands. Huge, major, major step in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think this, if, if my theory is true that Chelsea's defense is still suspect, then Tottenham's a team to expose that. So I, I expect that to happen. I think Tottenham wins this. Yeah, and honestly, we, we talked about this a little bit when uh, right after the the window closed and when the season was about to start actually i think ben chilwell is a solid player although i don't think that he really gives anything different than marcos alonso Mm -hmm. and i don't think that it was a super upgrade i also don't think highly of tiago silva at this stage of his career so yeah i would love to see them sure up that defense obviously difficult to do love mendy but it'll be an interesting match yep 
All right. Last match of Sunday, we got Arsenal versus Wolves. I'm taking Wolves. I just don't like Arsenal. I think they don't, don't like them as a as a Chelsea fan, or don't like what they're doing both, on the field. Both. I I think Arsenal's defense is incredibly leaky. Their offense is stagnant. I mean, Aubameyang hasn't been in form, nor is Lacazette, even if he's getting in. So I think that that Arsenal is just deficient right now. Maybe you need a coaching change. Maybe Arteta is going to be gone. Who knows? Ooh. But I think that I think Wolves or otherwise that a, known as that was a hot of the Portuguese national team. That was a hot take, by the way. Yeah, I just think that uh, Wolves plays well together. They play as a team. I think they they take it. Yeah, I. I went back and forth on this one. I, d- I just don't know what Arsenal is right now. Yeah. I, I mean, if they they played well against United well enough, the, uh, they had a um, they had a plan, they executed, they, they got away with a win. You, but then you look at a match like Leeds where they just got absolutely dominated. It's, it's tough to tell what the team is. I think Wolves are starting to get back into form. This past week against Southampton, they looked great. They probably could have had a win, win there the last 20 minutes. They were by far the better team. Yeah. That being said, I'm going with a safe thing here. I think it, it could be a draw. I think Wolves will outperform Arsenal. I don't know if they have a lot of goals in them, so I expect it to be yeah. like a 1-1 draw. I think Arsenal is probably not going to play well, but Aubameyang is just he's world-class. I think yep. he gets on the score sheet. Okay. Sure. Monday. We got Leicester versus Fulham. Well, I know that you're taking Fulham, so I guess I'll take Leicester. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I, th- I think I think Leicester, obviously, the superior team in this. Yeah. I think Fulham do start making a push and getting themselves out of a uh, bottom three position, but mm-hmm. uh, I think Leicester recovers from uh, a rough week last week. Yep. And uh, and takes it takes three points. Yep, I agree with that. I got Leicester as well. All right, last match of the week, we got West Ham versus Aston Villa. I think this is going to be a, a gritty match. I yep. think Villa will – you know, I'm going to go draw. I'm going to go draw. I, okay. think, I think West Ham showed that they're, they're ready to get into, into the trenches and, and battle it out. Yep. And I think Villa I, – I don't actually, I didn't check to see – um, if Ross Barkley's going to be back for the game, but he's not. He's not. He's going to miss. He's mo- well, the report was he's going to miss at least two two weeks. Okay, so you know I think their offense looked a little stale after he left. Yep. You know Grealish is still a great player. I think they've got enough weapons to, you know, at least hold West Ham to maybe a goal, maybe maybe nothing. Yep. Maybe blank them, but I think that Aston Villa will have a little bit of difficulty going forward. I, I thought that West Ham's um, lineup was pretty sure up. Yeah, uh, those are all the points I was going to make. Uh, I think West Ham's an underrated team this season, and I'm a little mm-hmm. nervous about Villa without Ross Barkley. So I actually I have him as a draw as well. I think, yeah, I, I you hit on all the points. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that, that unfolds. Yeah. 
All right, great. That concludes the picks of the week. So I hope you guys all enjoyed the episode. It was fun for us. Nothing like a good ranking of random things. <laughs> Again, if you've made it this long, thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And we hope uh, that you had a great Thanksgiving, got to enjoy some turkey. I think that's about it. Yep. Thanks, All everyone. Right.